Hey guys, happy Boxing Day. This is Aaron, doing one of my impromptu, kind of off-the-cuff episodes. I hope everyone's had a good holiday season. I uh, hope everyone had at least a tolerable Christmas. Uh, Boxing Day kind of holds a special place for me. Um, I'm a huge English uh, Premier League uh, football fan, and uh, Boxing Day is kind of a sacred day over there where everybody plays, and it's a whole big thing. Uh, my whole city Tigers lost today 3-0 to Manchester City. Um, they're having a rough season, so it didn't phase me too much. Anyways, just want to keep giving you guys some content for your ear holes. Uh, I've been a little bit behind the eight ball, uh, obviously with the holidays and work, and I've been kind of on again, off again, ill uh, with the weather shifting as it tends to do in Buffalo. So without getting too uh, personal about it. So sorry about that for the few of you that are like, where's the next episode? Uh, we just put one up, actually, our sixth official, uh, Alone in the Dark. And uh, I'll have a couple more coming for you soon. I uh, wanted to just drop a couple uh, ideas in your heads for some good films to watch. Uh, I kind of was on a kick all weekend, you know, with Christmas being on Sunday. Nothing was really happening this weekend, uh, you know. So once I got out of work on Friday, I said, ah, I'm just going to kind of veg and, and just kind of relax and see what happens. So just watched a bunch of different films. Um, watched several older movies uh, in a row, actually. I uh, watched the real, original Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, from 73, uh, directed, of course, by Toby Hooper. I uh, watched uh, The Magnificent Seven, the 1960 version, not the updated one with Denzel and Chris Pratt and all that nonsense. Uh, and also watched the Alfred Hitchcock classic Rope from 1949 with Jimmy Stewart. And uh, all three of these movies kind of hold a special place in my heart. Um, Texas Chainsaw is, it, it's just, it's an interesting movie. It's weird. You know, to be honest, not a lot really happens in it. You know, you kind of got these goofy kids and, uh, you know, they're kind of inspecting what happened to a potentially desecrated grave of one of their relatives. And then there's an old family home that's abandoned, so they go and check it out. And the brother, there's a sister, a brother, um, and the sister's boyfriend, and then another couple. And the brother is an invalid. He's in a, he's in a wheelchair. And, you know, he's kind of always unhappy and miserable. And, you know, they pick up this weird hitchhiker, and he cuts himself, and he cuts the brother, and then he kind of jumps out. And then they end up, of course, running into him again and uh, this crazy family with, of course, the iconic Leatherface. And, uh, of course, it's kind of based on Ed Gein, uh, the notorious serial killer uh, who wore women's clothing and made lampshades out of human skin and stuff like that and robbed graves. That was really the big thing because, um, you know, skinning people isn't. <laughs> but uh, really interesting movie, you know, low budget, you know, not even, you know, there isn't a ton of real plot. You know, there isn't, like, a crazy detailed script. Um, you know, it almost feels like some of it was kind of shot off the cuff, and that's kind of cool. Um, if you've never seen it, I definitely recommend it. Um, it's an interesting movie because there's very direct, specific scenes of violence and things that happen, but they kind of do it in a way where they were really trying to 
not have it be uh, like an R rating. Originally, if if what I read about it was correct, Toby Hooper was really hoping for like a PG, and they gave it to him as an R even back in '73. So, um, and very interesting movie. Um, really kind of a pioneer in some ways in relation to horror and certainly what it's become now. So definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it. Uh, the Magnificent Seven from 1960 with Yul Brynner, Steve McQueen, James Colburn, Eli Wallach, Horst Buchholz, uh, Robert Vaughn. Uh, just an incredibly talented cast of performers from a yesteryear. Um, it's a Western. Uh, it's a remake or an homage um, of The Seven Samurai, Akira Kurosawa's masterpiece from 1950, the Japanese film and filmmaker. And it's an Americanized version, so it takes place in the Old West and uh, a group of bandits uh, below the border in Mexico are harassing a town, small town, poor town, take most of their food, all that stuff, so they hire these seven men. And, uh, of course, you know, they fight them off, and, you know, they... They battle back, and, you know, the tide turns, and, of course, it's about fear and about, you know, prejudice and politics and all that kind of thing. Um, it's a very interesting movie, watching it and seeing it in kind of a high-definition transfer. Um, it's a beautiful film. It's a beautifully shot film. The landscapes and the way even the actors are portrayed and lit. Incredible. Um, it's a really neat kind of story how Yul Brynner... And Steve McQueen, who were both notorious for their egos, couldn't stand each other. And uh, Eel Brenner was a, not a tall man, so he was always standing on mounds of dirt to try to be neck and neck with McQueen. And then he would step off, and McQueen would knock the dirt mound over. Um, there's a great scene where those characters meet in the beginning, where they're driving a dead man up to Boot Hill. But because he's a Native American, the white people in the town won't let him go. So they drive the rig together, and Steve McQueen rides shotgun. So he's got the scatter gun, and he's loading it up, and he uh, he kind of he he shakes the the shells, and he did a bunch of stuff like this throughout the movie to basically pull focus away from Yul Brynner as Yul Brynner was speaking. So really interesting stuff like that. What it really made me realize too, because I haven't seen it for a while, is that. This is a movie I watched over and over and over again as a kid, as a boy, as a young, you know, as a teenager even. Um, and it's definitely a movie that influenced my own personal desires for a love of Westerns, but also, you know, for writing, for acting, for everything uh, that I've taken an interest in over the years. So, um, just a really cool, unique little piece of history. Uh, personal history for myself, but it's a great movie. You know, it uh, it's got everything that you could really hope for, apart from you know swearing and tons of blood and, and all that kind of modern stuff that's just kind of accepted. It's really really well done. It's beautifully shot, great music, well acted. Um, just highly recommend it. And then Rope uh, with Jimmy Stewart is based on a play of the same name, and it's about these two uh, young men who kill another man. And they put him in kind of a dresser or a, a thing of drawers, and they have a dinner party. And everything is spread out on top of this thing that they've put this body in. And so, 
one of them is sick over it, and the other one's titillated and thrilled and thralled. And uh, they kind of start alluding to something's happened to this guy. Maybe something's happened to the guy. Meanwhile, the guy's fiance shows up. Jimmy Stewart shows up, who was kind of their headmaster uh, at boarding school and all this kind of goofiness um, in relation to their relationships. But they all know these people, and everybody knows uh, David, the guy that's been killed as well. So they start off on this kind of idea of where is he? Well, who knows? And then as the lie kind of starts spiraling out of control, the one guy gets really upset. And the other one keeps trying to play the game. Um, what's really neat about it is it's shot all as one continuous shot. So even if things are happening, you know, the camera may be going somewhere else. So, you know, because obviously on stage, on a play, it all have to happen like that. Now, it wasn't actually filmed all in one take, but Hitchcock did it uh, with 10-minute film reels. And then at the end of the film reel, he would move the camera to something like, say, the back of a chair. So that that way you could start the next 10-minute film reel and it would be in the same spot. And it would look, you could mask the fact that it wasn't one continuous shot, but you shot it as such. Really, really cool. Uh, 1949 for that one. And in color. So, um, you know, the color is a little different when you look at that. Or even at something like the Magnificent Seven in 1960. Color is a little bit different than it is uh, even in the 70s and the 80s. Certainly, let alone now. Um, but all three of those are really cool, really neat, very different, all different genres. Um, I recommend all three of them. A couple other things that I watched, uh, really, really neat little indie called Cop Car with Kevin Bacon. Uh, he plays a small town sheriff who's corrupt, who's definitely gotten involved in some shady business. And it's what happens when two young boys uh, just kind of stumble onto his car and they take it for a joyride. And then it's about him trying to get it back and about them realizing what they've done, and some other things, of course, happen along the way. Really neat, really understated little movie. Um, you know, very sparse. Um, not even a ton happens, really. It's almost like a kid's version of a road movie in some ways, but it's got a lot more uh, seriousness and sinisterness to it. Uh, really, really cool little flick. Might not have ever heard about it if I didn't mention it here. I just kind of stumbled across it. Um, really neat one there. Uh, and then uh, I watched uh, David Lynch's Lost Highway uh, from 97. Bill Pullman, uh, Patricia Arquette, Balthazar Getty, uh, Robert Blake, uh, Richard Pryor in his final uh, film appearance, and a bunch of others. Uh, you know, and David Lynch is weird. You know, obviously his, his films are bizarre, strange, weird, however you want to call it. Um, I'm a big fan of his, but I don't love everything that he does. Uh, massive Twin Peaks fan. You know, Blue Velvet is probably his magnum opus in relation to his films. Uh, Wild at Heart's also very good. Eraserhead's good. Um, you know, I love Lost Highway. You know, as an example, you know, Mulholland Drive, which has sort of a similar idea to it as Lost Highway. Never really got into that one. You know, just as an example. So... Um, but of course, you know, it's about the sax player who gets suspicious of his wife, found uh, guilty of her murder, and then one day is just gone from his prison cell, and it's this young guy, uh, tackles the idea of the fuse state, um, you know, with trauma and with stress and what happens there. 
Um, just a really neat movie. Great soundtrack. Really well shot. Very noirish. Very deliberately noirish. You know, a lot of the speaking. It's very understated. It's very slow. There's kind of deliberate, uncomfortable pauses. Um, just very, very interesting. Uh, it's not for everybody. A lot of people might watch it and go, eh, I have no idea what the hell this was. Um, you know, the plot, there's definitely a plot there. Um, it's not necessarily the strongest part of it, um, or it's not at least the most fleshed out. But I don't think David Lynch is interested in that, or he's not concerned with that. Interested would be the wrong word. I don't think he's that concerned with it in relation to uh, Lost Highway. Um, just an iconic movie for me in a lot of ways. It, you know, it kind of sparked different interests in me in film as I was getting a little bit older. And it's one that I just like to revisit and watch. Um, on the other end of the scale, watched an interesting film called Eyes of My Mother. Uh, it's black and white. Um, it's about this girl... She grows up on a farm, very isolated, idealistic life, but very weird and very isolated. Something's going on. Uh, her mother is murdered by this gentleman for no real reason. And then it just kind of goes in this circle of strangitudes and strangers coming into her life and cycles of murder and just you know a bizarre way of looking at life because you don't have any idea about it apart from what you've known, just isolated on this farm with your mother and your father. Your mother's murdered basically in front of you, and then your father just passes away from whatever happened. So what do you do now when you're just completely alone? Um, it's a really interesting idea. It looks great. It's beautifully shot. Um, the lead actress, who I wasn't really familiar with before, she does an admirable job. doesn't quite work for me in the end, um, it's kind of the same thing. It takes place more or less in three acts, and the same thing kind of happens in all three acts, and it just didn't quite work for me. There's a couple goofy things in it. It's like, well, why is this happening? And it's just kind of a plot device sort of kind of to, to push it along. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those art trash movies that's worth watching um, once. I think it's definitely worth a viewing if you're into that kind of thing. I don't know that you'll like it. I can't really say that I did, but I wasn't unhappy that I watched it. It's short. It's only about 75 minutes long. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't go out and rush out to the theater to see it, but when you can catch it sometime, totally worth it. So that's about it, folks. Keeping this one actually right at the 15-minute mark. Again, I hope everyone has a fabulous holiday season, uh, whatever you celebrate, Christmas, Hanukkah, anything in between. Thanks for listening. Catch you soon. Goodbye.